We think of Wario as a game designer for the WarioWare series, where he makes these six-second minigames that are kinda crazy. Let's go back and discuss his first gig in game design, level design, in Super Mario Land 2, tonight on the Commune Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Commune Podcast, the number of which I can't remember. This time we will be talking about Super Mario Land 2 again, uh, and with us are uh, people. Let's see, I didn't really think of an intro here. Um, this is what I do know. every time that I host. <laughs> <laughs> All these weird pauses at the beginning. <clears throat> you want me to save this intro? Go ahead. Go, go ahead. Alright, on the count of three, we're all going to give some kind of sound effect to indicate our appreciation for Super Mario Land. You guys ready? No. Oh, yes. One, two, three. I don't... Turkeys! <laughs> I really feel the appreciation. Um, uh, with us here, as usual, is Adrian. How are you doing? Alright. I got a B on my physics test. Wow, did you... Uh... Did you kill it, or uh, did it sting you? Uh, it was a bee, so I didn't kill it, but I didn't get stoned. <laughs> All right, I'm going to have to second-guess everything you have to say about the physics <laughs> in Super Mario Land now. I'll have to talk about Tree Zone 4. As you heard, yourself, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty regular. All right, that's a little too much information. <clears throat> <laughs> Back with us is Daniel. How have you been? Yeah, I've been <laughs> just kind of busy and stressed, actually. So, Ugh. yeah. Is it is it nice to come back to Super Mario Land too? Yeah, it is. Okay, it is. It's a uh, pretty relaxed kind of game. Yeah. Not too challenging. So. Yeah. And again, with us is. Uh, wait. He yes. didn't remember if he should call me Richard. Or Richard. <laughs> yeah. He's thinking about it. <laughs> with, with us is Kirby Kid. How are you? I'm doing really well, thanks. All right. So, Daniel, what have you been playing these days? Oh, geez. Um, have you? Have I'm you kind been of working my way. Yeah, I have a little bit. Just you know, between the breaks that I have at uni, um, I've been trying to 100% my way through Super Smash Brothers Brawl, which has been on my to play list for ages, and um, it's getting it's a bit tedious doing everything in single player, like doing break the targets with every character, doing the same levels, or doing um, uh, 100 Man Brawl, which is what I recently finished with all the characters. Like I will play that for a while, and because the enemies are really easy to knock off stage, they'll um, when they are off stage, they'll like there'll be that directional flash, yeah, depending on which side of the screen they've gone off of, but because of the trick that you can use on to get through, which is on to use the fan and just throw the fan up and then just stand next to the fan and any enemy that hits the fan in that vertical range will just fly off screen. <laughs> and so if you do that and if you just mix it up with your regular attacks, then every like two seconds there'll be like five enemies that are just flying off screen. And so after about... 15 minutes of playing, my eyes are really sore so <laughs> because there's so much flicker from that. Um, but I've worked my way through it. So. That sounds like grinding. 
Yeah. It, it is does. grinding. All right. Well, I'm glad you've at least gotten through it. <laughs> I I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm through that one, but I'm probably, I mean, I'm probably about five percent through the whole thing. I imagine there's you know, so much fun to do in that game. It's content. <laughs> Who yeah. do you main as? Well, I used to main as Mario, but now because I'm trying to beat everything with every character, every trophy, I'm kind of playing as a few different characters. So. Um, yeah, I don't really have a favorite, actually. I'll just play as anyone. Oh, you're the chameleon. <laughs> all right. He's the Kirby. <laughs> You've ate all of the trophies, so, you know. Yeah. Kirby Kid, what have you been playing? Smash Brothers for the Wii U. Oh, another Smash Brothers. Anything in particular? Multiplayer, single player? Yeah, practicing for tournaments every week and trying to stay competitive. Nice. But I've also been playing Downwell. It's an indie game that's kind of like Spelunky, but a vertical shooter. Came out on iOS and Steam the other week. What? I want to try that. What's the gameplay like? You just go down a tunnel, and it's randomly generated, and there's enemies, and every stage, every level you beat, you get a random power-up oh. to choose from. You have ammo, but you get more uh, a full clip every time you touch the ground or jump off an enemy's head. So you're kind of trying to stay yourself suspended in midair while falling really fast, and every time you shoot, you kind of hover a little bit. Oh, so when you said it's a vertical shooter... I pictured a spaceship. <laughs> yeah, not it's like a platformer, but you have a gun, and when you're falling through the air, it's like a it's kind of like those vertical shooters, but uh, you're still a dude that if you stop shooting, you'll turn back into a dude. So imagine if that, if that makes any sense. Transformers. Maybe a better way to explain it is that the guy's got guns attached to his boots. <laughs> that sounds pretty cool. Yep. Yeah, he's a regular gun shoe. I thought you were going to say Bayonetta. Uh, no, I hate Bayonetta. I still want to try that. That sounds cool. And you get a... There's a decent variety of power-ups? Yeah, like uh, any roguelike, you've got about 20, 10, 15 to 20 that cycle in randomly, and then you get these weapon upgrades, so about 10 to 15 weapons and 15 to 20 power-ups. Nice. All right. Yourself, what have you been playing? I've been working through Super Castlevania 4 this week. Uh, I've oh. played it in the past, but never beaten it before. Got a growing appreciation for it. What I've always liked is the eight-directional whip, and I've always been sad that never appeared in any other Castlevania games. <laughs> what I've always not liked is that it has the rigid sort of platforming that defines the first couple games in the series, but... Playing it through this time, I've got a better appreciation for the ways it puts emphasis on the unique mechanics like the eight-directional whip and like moving while ducking oh, yeah. in the level design itself by throwing you just basic stuff like an enemy above you and an enemy in front of you that gives you more to play with than you would have available in an earlier Castlevania game or a later one for that matter. So when you say working through, was it like you got up to World 9 on the first night and then have just been playing that? Uh, well, I got up to 8 on the first night, and then the second night I played 8, and then the third night I played 9. 9 is definitely where it gets a lot harder, but the worlds also get shorter at that point, so it's not quite as brutal as it at first seems. But yeah, I... 
got to the clock tower, and this is the first time I've ever done that. So oh. we'll see it through. All right. Adrian, what have you been playing? Sad. Oh, well, I actually I did play um, the DLC levels to Mighty Gun Vault. Oh, nice. So yeah. uh, how are they compared to the main game? They're much better, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, I still think that a Mighty Gunvolt just does a lot of things better than the, the main Azure Striker Gunvolt game. Sure. So, uh, um, what's one of the improvements, you would say? Well, for one, bosses are... I actually think some of the bosses are much more challenging. I know um, right now the hardest one is, without a doubt, I have no idea what his name is. I think it's Mighty Number 7. It's the red cape one that looks a lot like Proto-Man. Well, a few months ago, I was uh, I finished on the DLC pack for that one, and yeah, uh, I think that for that boss in particular, it's for the train level, isn't it? Yeah, the train level. Yeah, and so I think that they don't give you a lot of uh, reaction time, and so it, it's really tight, and mm-hmm. you really have to um, know well have a good idea of what moves he's going to do in advance and then kind of pre-prepare yeah. because yeah, there's not a lot of time to react. It's really quite strict. Yeah, he, the, the one that I might say, it's pretty much the one that gets me every time and it's his big like spin attack in the air because every other mm-hmm. attack I find is mostly avoidable. You can sort of find a sweet spot keeping about, I don't know how to describe it, two gun bolts away from him whether he's doing his little yeah, slide yeah. kick or his little spin. And even if he jumps in the air and does a dive kick, well, one, it takes him a while to jump into the air and then go into his dive kick. So even if he, though he does it really sharply, you can run under him. It's when he jumps in the air and just starts spinning and turns into this giant hitbox that I just can't figure out how to avoid. Yeah, that's the one attack that um, I'm still working out how to really deal with that. And it might actually just be that it's a little too big or too fast for what it is. But um, I don't actually have the ability to record and, you know, determine that yet. But yeah, he, he's similar to Viper in that he's a really reaction-based boss. All right. Viper was a fun boss to talk about. Yeah, I <laughs> I still have that half-finished video where I just need to finish editing part two and then get on with part phase three. Yeah, we all have half-finished videos in our lives. I asked everyone to pick a level from Super Mario Land 2. One by one, we discussed each level, trying to get at its meaning. Everyone had little time to prepare, so in the following four segments, you'll hear folks working through a thought process. Everyone has a unique approach because of the way they think, and because different levels demand different approaches. We used the maps at vgmaps.com for reference. If you can, you might want to pull them up as well. First up to bat is Daniel Primed with Wario's Castle. His approach begins by counting each challenge, which leads to a sense of the level's overall rhythm. From there, we refine this view by adding details about the challenges and comparisons to the rest of the game. So Daniel, what level did you pick? I chose Wario's Castle, which is the final stage of the game. Okay. And uh, do we all have Wario's Castle up? Yep, I got it up. Okay. And uh, what would you say its theme is? 
I guess there are several things in that if you look at the map, you'll see that it's quite clearly divided into different sets of challenges based on certain level elements, which I think are unique to this part of the game. I don't think that they've been in the game so far. And so each of these sections is really separate from the rest, and they usually have maybe three or four different challenges per section. So in the first section, you've got these kind of swooping spiny balls, which are, I'm trying to think of a parallel, they're kind of similar to the spiny balls in Super Mario World in Bowser's Castle. So there's on the swing left to right like a pendulum, yeah. um, except that they kind of float and they're not attached to a chain. <laughs> and then you've got the piranha plants, which, well, so I mean, look as though they're piranha plants, but they function more like bullet bills. And so they shoot out balls of fire that move horizontally. And they kind of are combined with the spiny balls for the first section. Then we have the first vertical chamber, which is kind of yeah. like a reprieve, I guess, although there is a long corridor with, a, with one of the piranha plants there, so you kind of have to move forward, and then you'll see that it's going to shoot fire, and then you have to just duck. Yeah. And there's also a power-up there as well, and that's also on the other side of the level, so I guess the structure of this level would be first set of challenges, vertical reprieve, second set of challenges, vertical reprieve, third set, and then you have a few extra challenges, and then you have a room where you get a power-up, and then you have the boss battle. So it kind of follows that structure. Very quickly, the other points, the other level elements are a moving, floating platform. It's kind of warrior hands that are kind of like thwomps, I guess. Those well, they're not quite like thwomps. Well, they really just go up and down, and they don't stop. And they activate if you hit the middle panel of the floor. So they're, they're triggered by oh, okay, the sure, yeah, yeah. platform on the floor. Uh, and then you have some bone platforms that kind of function as the donut platforms in Super Mario Brothers 3, where if you stand on them, they'll break. Yep. Then you've got something kind of similar, but, but with a vertical element with the their bone platforms as well. I guess on the lower ones are skull platforms, and this final set are like kind of bone platforms with two heads on either side. And when you stand on one of those platforms, they'll raise, mm-hmm. um, they'll rise up uh, up to the ceiling, which is covered in spikes. Yeah. And then you got some. Well, I guess these are more like thwomps. Would you say, Adrian? Yeah, these are more like the thwomps. And then you have a few rooms with with these balls that bounce off of the corners, and you just need to jump on their heads. Yeah. And so there's a lot of uh, disparate ideas here. Um, and I guess if there is one theme to this level, it is the use of lava. Now, lava can one-hit kill you, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So there is a rising of the stakes in this level as well. What's interesting I'm noticing right now is that no two elements are combined except for the spike balls and the piranha statues. Right. And really... It's quite inconsistent in that way. But also, I rather enjoy the kind of final levels where you've got you know different elements from the different parts of the game that come on together and they make a like a mega challenge but in here yeah i don't think 
all of these elements, or at least on the functions that they have, have been represented too much in the game so far. So it's it kind of um, goes to something totally different. Yeah, that, yeah the, uh, the stage is a sort of gauntlet, which is not what this game has been about to this point. It really thrives on momentum for the most part. And as you mentioned there, there's vertical reprieves, which only serve more to emphasize that most of the elements are interacted with in a fairly similar way in that it's just something you need to get by before it can activate its hazard or before it can take you to uh, the lava or spikes or what have you. A lot of elements are like that, but then you have like the floating platforms, with the, like the propeller platforms, which are like the complete opposite. No, I... Sorry, you mean the band platforms? No, the the second set where um you have to ride the floating platform and then duck under something. Yeah, I I agree. Those are very much the outlier, and because they come in the middle, those along with the uh, Wario hands part, which is more of like a puzzle part, if you want <laughs> right. to uh, make that judgment. Those sort of form like a middle portion of the level that slows the pace and then it sort of picks back up. I got a question. Are the Wario hands impossible to get through unscathed once you activate them? Uh, I have no idea. I swear they are, but... It's incredibly difficult. Yeah, Yeah, I've never been able to do it. So that challenge is entirely, did you know about these secret switches in the floor, if not, take damage? Almost. Almost or entirely? Um, Well... I'm, I'm going to try too... it out while you guys talk about it. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. All right, live um, on the air. <laughs> yeah, because uh, those things um, really you are... can actually... Yeah? Oh, I was going to say that you can actually get through there unscathed, and there's a video uh, in... Uh, well, there's... Uh, it's in a long play that I've been using as a reference, and, yeah, they just pretty much walk straight, and then they pause right before the third hand... Out of curiosity, move. are they um, small Mario when they do that, or uh, no, like... big Mario? Okay. Whoa. Because when you set that off, um, that is probably, I think, without a doubt, the hardest thing to get through the level unscathed. Well, the hardest and the easiest, because once you know what's there, the challenge is simply remembering the location of the switches. Yep. Uh, which is pretty trivial because they're all in the same location. Yeah. Another unusual thing is that I think the first section is probably the most interesting to replay through, whereas these later sections get more strict and linear and in some ways even more basic, like this part with the skull platforms here. Uh, I actually think that's much more difficult to do than... It's not even that difficult to begin with because it's like it's just like one-block platforms that you can walk and then jump to. You don't even need to hold the B button to reach them. And then these platforms with the bones that are supposed to lift you up to the spike, like, it's easy enough to just keep running, jump, and then jump to each one. Like, you have two blocks of space to work with, and they're not that fast that you need to run. So you can just walk and jump your way through, and that's just a matter of, like, really simple timing. So would we say that's the that would be the theme of Wario's Castle, maintaining your momentum? Not for this first part, I don't think, because with these spike balls, 
I mean, you can jump over them, but it, it's also an option to wait for one to pass and then sneak under it. Yeah, but I think it's enough of a viable solution to keep moving and that they encourage you to keep moving enough that it could be said that, or an argument could be made that those are consistent with the later part of the stage. So, Daniel, where do you stand on the idea that the theme of Wario's Castle is it maintaining your momentum? I'm not really sure. I think in some ways there are certain elements that encourage a continual stream of movement. If you look at the skull heads or the um, what we might think of as the donut platforms, then you obviously can't stand on them up for too long, so you have to keep on going. Same with the um, bone platforms near the end uh, and the thwomps as well. However, if you look at the um, some of the initial challenges, they kind of um, encourage you to wait at times. So, for example, oh, actually, no, well, 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 I guess the, uh, the initial piranha plant enemies, because you can visibly see that they're going to attack you, there's a bit of forewarning there, and so they kind of act in a similar fashion to the other elements in that they do encourage you to move on forwards. I'm not so convinced that the spiky platforms, you know, have that same effect, but it seems that the challenges are constructed in a way that you're in that you usually see a spiky ball coming forward before you actually get into its range. For example, if we look at on the very first part of the level, you'll see that there's an item block right before the spiky. And that seems to be there just to stop players moving ahead so that they can visually see that the spiky ball is present. And then from, uh, and then from there, they can then move forward. And so, yeah, so there is an element to it as well. Oh, and also the, the floating platforms as well. Like if you miss one, then you kind of have to wait. And so perhaps there is an aspect of momentum to that level. But I remember when I played this before and I was certainly more careful than more careful and hesitant as opposed to just moving forwards. Okay. Would you say there is a theme for the Wario's Castle? Contextually, it does represent a gauntlet, as I think yourself were saying before, in that you've got lava, you've got spikes, you've got these very dangerous elements, and the situations particularly with on the lava, are more high-risk. And so it certainly has that contextual theme to it. But the momentum thing is something that, that yeah, I guess I, uh, I could agree with having looked at it a bit more closely. And I guess one aspect that would build onto the Gauntlet idea as well is that you have these long horizontal rooms where you're challenged, but then you also have these areas where you can have a reprieve, and that kind of seems to fit into that model in some ways. I'm sure there's some allusions there to to that system. Part of what also makes me just, the, or the word gone that come to mind is the way that it, like each challenge is repeated three times. I guess that doesn't really apply to the first room. The first room's a little more freeform than that. But after that, you've got three floating platforms, three wire hands, three etc. of each. Uh, so it makes it feel like it's teaching you and then testing you right away. Yeah, the rhythm is very start-stop rather than like a careful build-up of theme and variation. Well, uh, well, I guess 
it is, you know, a series of vignettes of three different types of challenges. Also contributing to the gauntlet idea is the fact that there is no midway bell. Right. Yeah, it's like playing a Mario Maker level, am I right? Hey, (laughs) this will go out after the update. You can't say that. Oops. (laughs) (laughs) Should I make this level right now? Oh, no. Well, you can, because there's no midway thing. But this will go out after the update. Um, All right, I think we uh, hit all of the key points there. Yeah. I guess if there were some other theme as opposed to momentum, uh, the gauntlet, then it may be just three. You know, there's three floors. There are three sets of challenges for each <laughs> of the elements. Yeah, and Super Mario Brothers three. There's three parts to the Warrior Ball and three parts to the Warrior Boss fight. Yeah, this level seems pretty straightforward. Yeah, and that's the kind of thing I was trying to get at earlier about the skull platforms and then the bone platforms is that they really are just run, jump, and then, yeah, just run and then jump. And you don't even need to jump all Mm. that high or jump while running where you need to, like, control your momentum more. Like, it's really simple, slow, soft jumping that is really easy to do. And um, compared to the first part of the level, I actually think... Uh, that later part with these skull and bone platforms is way easier than this first part here mm. with the piranha plants. Like that big piranha where you have to jump the gap and not get hit by that big problem with the big fireball, like that one still keeps getting me every time because you have to land just in front of that block there so that when that fireball becomes active, it doesn't, you know, hit you. Mm. Yeah, I have, a, I have a theory overall about this game which is that because of the limited screen real estate, uh, it's really hard for the developers to fit in several different elements into one arrangement in a very clean and organized way that doesn't involve a lot of screen scrolling. And so I think that kind of limits the potential of a lot of the challenges in the game. But I guess we'll explore that idea as we move forward. I thought you were going to say a lot of slowdown. <laughs> yeah, that's <happens> too. <laughs> Oh, one more thing, in agreement with Daniel, is that even uh, these black ripping balls, about it being the only section where they kind of fix things, even those things are actually spaced pretty far apart from the the piranha shooters. Yeah, yeah. that's fair. Mm. Yeah. Next, Adrian reviews Pumpkin Zone 2. He zeroes in on individual scenarios, fleshing them out by detailing the enemy behavior and landscape layout. He takes care to unravel what makes each individual challenge tick, informing our view of the level as a whole. So, Adrian... What is your first level? My first level is Pumpkin Zone. Or, wait, it was Pumpkin Zone 2. <laughs> we'll be here all night. Uh, so what would you say is its theme? Well, the visual theme is like spooky Japanese yokai kind of level. Because it has some of the weirdest looking Mario enemies. With these, yeah, these umbrella, weird umbrella looking things. The ghost lanterns and booze. Well, actually... 
who's aren't yokai, but whatever. The thing is, trying to nail down a theme, it's kind of hard because it, it does like, it does change ideas. For example, there, there's there's this one set piece that really caught my attention. It's towards the middle of the level. You sh you should be able to see it, where you have to go upwards. There are these pipes, but the booze, as you know, will try to chase you if you're not looking at them. So what you have to do is you have to maneuver your way through all the pipes to get to the top without the booze cornering you. And because these passages are so narrow, sometimes you might actually have to go back and go down and sort of like lure them away, then run to the other side and then sneak past them, which is what I had to do. And that's why this section caught my attention so much. It doesn't necessarily like indicate a theme in the level because it happens only like once in the entire level. That's one of those midway segments that they give for variety. Yeah, it's also a fairly unique idea where it, it brings out an aspect of the booze design to where you want to deliberately manipulate it so that you can maneuver around it. There's an element and, of planning there. You have to read the level and read where you would want to go. Yeah, because in other levels, like if it wasn't for this part being set up the way it was, it wouldn't have drawn out uh, that characteristic of the boo. I'm not sure if there's a name for that. I think, well, I don't know, maybe it's something to do with design space or, yeah, reaching corners of the design space. Um, no. Well, I don't have a term for it, but um, it does draw out that little nuance to the boo that uh, I thought was pretty neat. Yeah, it's a level design that exploits boo behavior. Hey, what kind of enemy challenges do you have in general here? Yeah, there's actually quite a few enemies in this stage but they're not entirely consistent. You have these weird Cyclops-looking things, but they act more like Goombas. If there was anything more specific to their behavior... Um... They dash at you when they see you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. But the screen is so small that um, it kind of doesn't make that much of a difference. And it's not quite like with the section they had with the booze where you can... Actually, it would have worked more if they put those things in the section with the booze to where you want to sneak past them and it's in a tight corridor where you can't exactly, you know, run around them as easily or make it with um, destructible blocks or something. So you would well, say... It's the sort of a consistent idea exploited across two different enemies. Wouldn't you agree that there's a union of function there? Yeah, th these are both enemies that are affected by uh, sight. That there's, there's a little more to their AI with that in that they can actually see Mario affected by where he is relative to them. Unlike these cheap cheeps or these weird lantern things, I don't even know if they can hurt you. They look like they can hurt you, but I can't tell. Or these, you know, umbrella things would sort of just jump and then swoosh around. Yeah. So what kind of, uh, what kind of platforming challenges do you have in this level? Well, for the first part is really just avoiding the umbrella things, which they take a while to you know, reach the bottom, so it's just as simple as just running underneath them. Yeah, there's not much going for platforming, because, I mean, look for yourself. There's, there, I don't even think there's a sink. No, there are no bottomless pits in this level. So it's pretty, it's an enemy-centric level. Yeah, so it's it's more of just, like, basic, you know, jump over, jump over the enemy, or don't hit the piranha plant kind of thing. I think the most complicated setup might be what they have with this weird little ghost fireball here. You might see it. It's in the beginning of the level where the three Cyclops monsters are. Right, uh, you have to be things... careful. Sorry. 
Yeah, those Keep things do. Move, I'm sorry. Those things do move in a more sine wave kind of pattern. So they're probably the most complex moving thing in this level. Yeah, they're the only thing that's not limited to like a strict linear movement where the boos are just a straight line connecting you and the boo. Uh, is there? Yeah, yeah. predictable the flight pattern. Yeah, the um, yeah. You're right. Sorry, the umbrella demons are uh, weird and. The Umbrella Demons are not mixed with the Ghost Fireball. Yeah, the Umbrella Demons are mostly by themselves or with other Umbrella Demons. In fact, I'm going to play through this level right now just to show off their pattern. Can I get hit by these things? Yes, I can. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So they go up, and then they kind of move left and right and wave around like that. By the, the way, you can't pattern is, is too complicated to be combined with anything. Yeah, and also because of the fact that because they're so wide, they actually take up a lot of space. But otherwise, um, actually, those, those lantern things aren't actually particularly threatening. They almost come off as decoration. So would you say there's any development or rhythm to the enemy challenges? No, I don't know. I mean, like, like look at this level as I'm going through it right now. It's like, okay, first we went through three Umbrella Dudes, then two Piranhas. Yeah, that doesn't really seem to be... Well, so if we single out that Cyclops enemy on the first... Three arrangements are quite similar, if not identical. I'm not sure of the function of that little light specter that's floating around. But then if you move on to near the end of the level, you've got them on those platforms. And there are, you know, I guess it's a little different there, but especially in the middle as you have two of them, and that makes it more... Complex, but I think as what Adrian was saying earlier, you know, this level seems to be it seems to be driven by the AI or the movement patterns of the enemies, as opposed to a strong influence of level design and counterpoint with that. So, but I think this is kind of a trend throughout the whole game in that there's not really. I feel like a lot of the game ideas in this game don't really do much or say much. Maybe that's just my perspective, but, yeah. No, I feel that way, too. I mean, I still like this game, but it is one of the more basic Mario games. And, yeah, it's not hard for it's not hard to beat up this Mario game. Yeah, here's the part I was talking about that I actually liked, where you want to take advantage of the boost. Well, actually, I, I just had, had happened to have it set up, so it made it really easy. This, to me, is... It's an interesting part, because as I was playing through, I thought about how, yeah, the level design makes good use of the booze there, requires you to learn, etc., etc., and yet at the same time, there's no real reason for that part to be in Super Mario Land 2. Like, nothing about it speaks to the identity of the game itself or Mario's mechanics. Mario's power-ups don't play into it at all, and you're not even allowed to jump there, really. So it's something where I appreciate it on a design level, but at the same time, I feel like it's prioritizing an interesting scenario without actually making that, or without actually owning it in any interesting way. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, one of the hallmarks of Mario games is interesting enemy interplay, and that's what boos are. Yeah, but, I mean, is there any reason that part would play different if that was in, like, if you were Samus playing that, or if your character was Reeve from Ninja Gaiden? Well, it 
wouldn't be in a Metroid game because those enemies mostly just are on a set path and don't react to you at all. Yeah, but that's not really getting to the issue of building a game around the mechanics, like building a game around what makes it itself. So maybe there are design patterns that are consistent with Mario or design patterns that are consistent with Metroid, and there are places where those wouldn't cross over, but then there's no reason for that necessarily except for thematic consistency. It still doesn't touch on gameplay consistency or mechanical consistency. Mm. Okay, I see. Yeah, I think, I guess, on the point that uh, yourself is getting to is that there really isn't like a strong feeling of counterpoint between the way that other levels are constructed and the ways that the enemy behaves. It's kind of, it feels like they're just there, in a sense. And I guess that is possibly what makes it feel different to other Mario games. And I guess, moving away from the design for a minute, another aspect is that this series of Mario games were developed by, oh my gosh, I forgot, um, uh, not by EAD though, so. Oh, Gunpai Yokoi? Yeah, Gunpai Yokoi's group, which is Software SD1. It's RD1, isn't it? RD1, that's the one, yeah, yeah, Yeah. RD1. And so I think this series of games has a different feel. I, d- I didn't actually realize this one was R&D 1. I knew the first one was, and that's always why I assumed the first one was insane. That's interesting, though. So, Adrian, would you say that these elements complement each other? Um, I, I mean, there, there's stuff like this where the... In this section here with, with the water, where where the cheap cheeps are keeping pressure on the ground, and sometimes you want to jump over them, but then these ghost lanterns are above you, so that's, like, a way to keep you from jumping, so... That's how you want to either sneak under them. And then they put this setup where they actually have a block in between them. So there, there's areas like this where they have these neat little optional challenges where you can like sneak past that fish, get this without hitting those things, and then continue on through the level. Um, aside from that, though... I mean, uh, like, not, not in any individual challenge, but as a whole, do you think the stage's elements complement each other? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Kid chose Tree Zone 3. He starts at a zoomed out view of the level, quickly summarizing the layout of the level's platforms. By detailing the structure first, he's able to discuss every enemy and side path within that context. So, Kirby Kid, what level did you pick? I picked the level that Adrian was trying to pick. That was Tree Zone 3? Let me check. <laughs> that was tree, tree, zone tree, zone zone three. 3, yeah. Okay, okay. Tree Zone 3. Tree Zone 3. I was so close to finishing up my research. What does yeah. that mean, beating the level? No, I'm, I'm, I'm experimenting with how layered it is, and I have this one idea, but I have to be uh, Fire Mario to test it. Ah. So it'll be the... Because I tested everything else. It's pretty neat. I want to say this is the best level in the game. Oh, no. Before you get into it, I just want to ask a basic question here. Mm-hmm. Three. Uh, is the level set on leaves, or is it set on coffee beans? 
they're actually cacao beans in the background. This whole level is made out of chocolate. And right. these leaves are technically cacao pods. Oh. That is what it looks like. That's even better, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it inspires the later food-themed levels in Super Mario uh, for Wii U. <laughs> New Super Mario Brothers Wii U. Well, I was thinking Sonic Colors. Don't um, mention Sonic Colors. Oh, no. <laughs> I was thinking uh, Yumi Penguin Monogatari. Oh, it's better than Zool. Um... Alright, enough. <laughs> Kirby Kid, what would you say is the theme of Tree Zone 3? The theme of Tree Zone 3 is uh, trees <laughs> and what that means. See, trees are a perfect example. It's a perfect metaphor for a branching network system because trees create their branches out of splits in their branches, I should say the word over and over. <laughs> but uh and that's cool, like I understand that, right? But then the trees are also very nonlinear. Come on no because <laughs> the branches often have overlap in places where you can leap from branch to branch. I mean that's why we like trees, right? They're very dense. So yeah, so this whole level is set inside of a tree and that's exactly what it does and this is why I like the level so much. So if you imagine, listeners, that there's a gigantic S on, on the screen right now in front of you because you're imagining that there's also a screen in front of you, <laughs> imagine the giant capital letter S, and that is basically what the main path of this level looks like. But you're starting on the bottom left portion of the S. Yeah, I almost got killed. And then you're working your way up from the bottom, zigzagging to the right, up a little bit to the middle of the S, to the left, and then back around to the top right. And that's the main path. Let's talk about the main path. Hopefully everyone has to level up. Yes! Okay, I just proved, I just uh, solved my test. That was amazing. So, okay, so the main path is pretty straightforward. I think the bottom level is the most complex. You have five pipes, and four of which have enemies that come out, two of which shoot fireballs at you, and the other two are just your basic piranha plant. And then you have uh, leaves with elevate different elevations of your basic platform, so instead of there being a solid ground, you have clusters of leaves that leave gaps. You fall into the gaps, you die. Too bad. We're up in a tree. This they is serious gaps. business. <laughs> the leaves <laughs> gaps. And um, there's enemies on some of these platforms. Not that big of a deal. So that's the whole bottom layer, though. There's a couple of coins hanging out near one of the enemies, and one question box for you to grab a power-up. But that's how the bottom level is designed. Try not to fall. So, okay, then we get around to the right side. You elevate by jumping on leaves and these weird moving platforms that are one way. And this game obviously needs to make the most out of what little space it has on that tiny Game Boy screen. So you'll find that it uses many one-way platforms many a time. In fact, the leaves themselves, let me, let me test it out real quick. The leaves themselves are one-way platforms. So... Even though it looks like you're existing in cramped spaces, you, you have a lot of room to move, and that serves the game pretty well. Okay, so we're talking about the main path. Now we're in the middle layer. The middle layer has almost no enemies. It's a straight shot to the left, and you're like, what's interesting about this? You're like, I don't know. Well, maybe, maybe it has multiple layers to it. Well, we'll get to that in a second. So you go left on the middle path. There's two fly enemies that get in your way, and you say, get back here, flies, but they always fly away from you, and you go, that's so weird. But at least they didn't hurt me, so you keep moving. Zigzag up the left side. There's a, some free power-ups. If you can 
key into the fact that Nintendo loves to put invisible blocks in between two visible blocks. It's a classic trick. Maybe yeah. not in 1990. Somebody help me out here. 92? Seven. I was going to say two. Did this game come out in two? I believe so. All right, we're just going to go with it. Maybe not back in 1992, but it's obvious now, and this is probably where I learned it from as a kid, even though I didn't play this game when I was a kid. Okay, so you get in the top layer, and then there's a few more enemies. They're kind of out of your way. The paths are a little more varied. You have a couple of stacked pathing situations, like, oh, almost like two paths running in parallel, but you got a little bit more variation on what you can jump to and why, and then you get to the end of the level. Pretty straightforward. Right, guys? Pretty straightforward, huh? Yeah. Wrong. Yeah. Okay. This is a tree. <laughs> Everything we said what? to this point is true, but this is still a tree, so check this out. At any point on any layer, you can fall to the other layer. And what's impressive about this game is apparently it renders everything <laughs> in the level simultaneously. We're not talking these Super Mario Land tricks where it can barely render the enemies on the screen with slowdown. Thank you, Super Mario Land. We're talking Super Mario Land 2, where the entire level apparently is rendered out, and if you hit the power-up at the beginning of the level, go up to the top and jump back down. It's still there waiting for you because it's waiting for you. It's a mushroom. They must respawn. Yeah, so we're, we're either assuming it did some clever D, re, and, D and respawning tricks or it just keeps everything um, rendered. One way or another, if the effect is pretty cool, you're in one solid game space. And for that reason, whenever you're on an upper level because we're working our way up the tree. If you fall in a hole, you reach a lower level. So a lot of games do this. Mega Man likes to make you drop from upper levels, but since the screen can like pan when you cross the barrier, you get a little bit of time to react. Uh, in this game, you don't get a time to react, but you need to, have, you need to leverage your knowledge of coming up the path to decide how you're going to fall. And if you have a good sense of space, because all the space is consistent, game space, you can decide which way to lean, left or right, and perhaps save yourself. The higher up you are, the more chances you have to fall on platforms without falling down to the very bottom of the level. It's kind of like Sonic, but Sonic's a jerk, so we're not going to talk about him. And it's also kind of like Shovel Knight, if you're going to play Propeller Knight's level. Cool stuff. Let's, Let's keep talking here. So... Falling is great. It's really not that interesting. You play a part of the level again, but it's more interesting than dying. So falling up from the upper levels is... Here's the second reason why it's more interesting than dying. You could fall into a part of the level that you had not previously explored. That's pretty cool. Did you know in the middle of the level they have a question block with a heart on top? And if you hit it, it encourages you to jump up there and grab it. And if you jump on top of the odd-looking formation that's just to the right of that, you can maybe discover an invisible block and find out that you have a shortcut from the middle layer straight to the end of the level. Because obviously, if you can imagine that S, you're cutting out half of the level by going vertically instead of worming your way around. That's pretty cool. It's something that you are more likely to discover if you fall from the top layer. That's pretty cool. So the variety in this level is based on you failing a platforming challenge? Well, it's got your back if you fail. Uh, You can obviously keep your eyes open. You can see many of these sections, these alternate paths and alternate areas when you are going along the main path. But you don't necessarily have to take them at that point. But if you do fall from an upper path, you are more likely to fall into some of these optional areas. So that's pretty cool. Do you think the enemies add anything to this level? So you're going through the bottom level, as I said before, is the most treacherous. But they also give you a power-up quite close to the beginning. 
Uh, if it's if you're a small Mario and it's a mushroom, it will run off and you have to catch it in midair. Many Mario games do not ever do that, ever. The closest examples I can think of off the top of my head are Bros. 3, when you're on the first auto-scroll level and you have to hit a power-up and it's about to run off and that whole level scrolling, that's kind of dangerous. Super Mario Bros. 1, where near the final Koopa stages, if you can get, navigate around that fire bar and hit that question block, it will run off and then jump straight into the lava. So you kind of have to catch that one in midair. But in this particular case, you hit the question block and that mushroom will jump straight into the pit. There's no like leeway where it'll hit the stage and then run off. So you pretty much have to do a midair catch. I mean, props to them. It's not. It's not crazy. Ow! I just stabbed myself. It's uh, not crazy <laughs> to put something. It's not crazy to put something like that in the game. Uh, so like, but otherwise you get just your two hits to get through this level unless you carry a power up in from another level. So while the enemies are fairly trivial and the B enemies run away from you, the piranha plants are trickier. And um, have you guys, you guys know Windman stage from Mega Man 2? You guys like Windman? Yeah. yeah. Airman? Airman. Uh, that was a trick on me. Uh, Airman, how about that? But you know how he has those like flying devil heads in midair? And they have the two little horns that like screw out of the those sides. Aren't and devil heads? Those are George Washington. Oh, you're right. <laughs> you know the enemy I'm talking about, right? That formation. I hate those well, guys. Yeah, they have powdered yeah. legs on. I mean, the jerks. We've already we're kind of going with a jerk motif of every game that's not Mario right now. <laughs> but those those enemies have screws that come up and down. And if you, if you are really good, if you are really good, you can stand on the very edge, and Mega Man will like tiptoe stand, like stand on his toes, and not get hit by the screw, and not fall off the stage. That's pretty cool. I like it when games are fairly consistent and conservative with their enemy hurt boxes so that you can do cool stuff like that if you have the skills. So I do find that the most interesting thing on this level to do with enemies involves jumping around them on this lower area and jumping on the edges of these pipes and then jumping around the enemies. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Second thing you can do with these enemies is if you get your maximum run speed or you do the Chief Greg up, hold up, and hold B trick, you can jump over these enemies from just about any platform that you can approach them from. So this, even though it may look like you have to slow down for these guys that kind of pop up and down, you really don't. Full speed ahead, use your skills, get through. Nothing's going to slow you down at this early point of the stage. I like that. And if you do this last jump with the last piranha flower on the bottom right, if you jump perfectly over him, he's a little harder to do than these other ones because as you can see, he's like a little higher up, but you can still cleanly do that jump and you can combo off that ant on the other side, so that's pretty cool. They tune this whole lower area to where you can just run and gun, keep the flow going, and that's nice. Alright. But these flies in the middle, they just run away from you. Does that not bother anybody? What are they there for? Shoot them. Yeah, They're I fun to shoot. Stop. Quit quit ruining the surprise! They're fun to kill. Yeah. If only you could reach them, but they're too fast for you. Alright, let's talk about another aspect of this level. The enemies are here, they don't do much, but they, it's like they're just living their lives, and you come here to destroy uh, and stomp on everything as you go along. That's cool, whatever. That's what... Like a I mean. Metroid game. <laughs> so let's talk about the layers. So there's a few secrets. There's that one secret we already discussed where you can shortcut your way to the end. That's pretty cool. But then there's a secret all the way to the right side of the level where... You're like, hey, it's a money bag. You don't know that yet unless you've already done it. Or you're looking at the level map like I am, but there's a money bag over there. You can kind of see it if you peek around as you platform up to that area. 
that's what I like about this level so far. I tested a lot of different common camera uh, views and what you can see trying to play the game normally, and they give you little hints off the side of the screen that, as to how much more there is in this level, so I like that. You go and you try to jump for that money bag, and you say, oh, no, I fell completely short, and you're thinking, what do I do to get that money bag? And if you have a good sense of special awareness, you know that it's on the very right side of the stage, and when you get to the very top layer, maybe you can jump down. You just can't. The angle is not favorable. So you're like, I can never do it in my normal state, but you obviously need a power-up state. You grab that carrot, you turn yourself into a rabbit, and you get hover power. And this level opens up some new possibilities with hover power, namely two. One, you can get that power up on the right side we were just talking about, but two, right after you get the hover power, they have coins displayed floating in midair, and mm -hmm. there's an enemy that can come out of that pipe and ruin your day. But because the fall rate when you fly in this game is so utterly slow that you can hover <laughs> in mid-place, get all the coins on the left, I believe, and still have enough height to get the ones on the right, that was one thing. I w oh, I can test it right now. Here we go. We're going to test it. Just Let me just grab this. Rabbit power. Just uh, up jump and hover, hover, hover. Hover, hover. Here I go. Here I go. Yeah, you, you can't get them all in one run, but you can make it to the other side the least safely and then cut back. So that's really cool. They tuned that to where it's a little dangerous. You need a power-up to get those coins, and you don't have to fall all the way down to get all of them. I like that, because otherwise it would be kind of cheap. Like, oh, just get just jump twice at it and then fall all the way down and come back up. That's not cool. So this tests more skill and gives you a quicker um, chance at a second try rather than you know killing yourself or falling all the way down. And that's cool. That's power-up. That's how you design uh, optional layers with your power-ups. But what about those stupid flies? What about those stupid flies? I'll tell you. The only way you can kill them is with the fire flower power-up, as far as I know. So... You cannot get the Firefly power up on this level unless you enter as Big Mario, in which that first mushroom will turn into a flower, or you get it, you know, you take it Firefly with you from the beginning of the stage. So that's pretty cool. You, but then you've got to keep it. If you enter the stage with it, you have to keep it all the way through the most treacherous part and then make it up to the middle area and then run after the flies and burn them as they try to fly away. And with the Firefly power-up, you can kill every enemy on the stage. With the Rabbit power-up, which you can still get after you kill every enemy, you can get every power-up on the stage. And this stage is the only stage in the game where you can go vertically, horizontally. It has two power-up layers, a shortcut, and like five paths, if you will. So, best level in the game? Yes? So it has a lot of benefits from uh, presenting a consistent space. I'd say so. Yeah. There, I think a real difference um, between this level and Warrior's Castle, which also has the same S shape to it, but everything <laughs> is segregated in, uh, both in terms of laws and also in terms of the individual arrangements, uh, the individual uh, challenges. Mm -hmm. Good observation, Daniel. Yeah, the Warrior's Castle was very much segmented by the literal bricks that would hang down from the ceiling to say, hey, this is a section overcome it, like uh, yourself was mentioning. This level is like, hey, it's a tree. Jump through it. Find your own path through it. There's branches everywhere. So Warrior's Castle is like a tree, but with lava. Right. Yeah, if you burn all the leaves, <laughs> and then the tree is so weak that you need to shove metal rods to keep its structure, its basic S structure, and then you throw more hazards in there, yeah. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Um, if, if I was just Are there any other levels in the game that have this level of 
design Open, because openness. From what I remember, not really. Yeah, from what I remember, not really. And that's why I had to steal this level from Adrian. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't do it quite the same justice you did. There's only one section in my level that's kind of like that, maybe two. Uh, because of the swimming sections, the fire flower is much more helpful because it gives you the only way to deal with those fish aside from having to jump and swim around them. And after that section with the booze and going down through the blocks, there's a star. Because notice in this little pagoda-looking thing, I don't know what it's called, but um, there's a bunch of these Cyclops enemies, and the idea is that you get the star, you jump up, grab it, and then run through as many enemies as you can. Uh, obviously, you play that section differently if you didn't have the star power up. But um, I noticed that you do set up those sections so that you can get a one-up by ramming through all the enemies with the star. And finally, yourself picked Tree Zone Two. His commentary starts with a discussion of one particular level element the tree sap. With that, he covers how this level element influences gameplay, and how the level fleshes out the tree sap's potential. Last but not least, yourself, what level did you pick? I chose uh, Tree Zen 2, the level preceding, the one that Richard just walked us through. Alright, so we get to see where Richard's level comes from. So, uh, <laughs> what would you say is its theme? Well, the consistent, I guess, maybe motif throughout this level is the resin substance, which is an obstacle not explicitly unique to this level, but I think it only shows up in one other place. The whale boss. Right. So that runs throughout the level, so it's not that difficult to see how that provides sort of a consistent theme of, well, we'll think about what the actual theme is after breaking it down a little bit more, but the resin itself is something that each of the challenges in the stage is built around, and the way that it behaves is that when Mario makes contact with it, he switches into, uh, is it swimming mode, or is it slightly different than the swimming mode? Is it a bit slower? It's, um, you know what, it's just a different thing that's kind of like swimming. So, the way it works is that Mario basically holds in place, and there's a weak gravity pull on him. But generally, if you hit the jump button, we'll do a sort of swimming-type light upwards bounce. Yeah, you can jump actually... multiple times after you leave the ground. Well, you can jump consistently as long as you're within the resin substance. So what's neat about that is that it will basically catch you out of the air. There are places at the beginning of the level you first encounter it, on the ground, but it's quickly introduced on the ceiling of the stage at a height at which I think basically any jump is going to take you into it. So you see that it catches you and you can kind of swim through midair. From there, they introduce enemies in the substance and uh, they vary the shapes of it on the ceiling and then mix it up with spikes, different enemies, coins, and uh, just different breaks in the resin. So it pretty thoroughly explores what can be done with this gimmick of the stage in a consistent way or in a, in a way that builds on itself. It, it starts with just the resin, then 
puts enemies in them, then starts using spikes instead of enemies. So it's encouraging you to get used to needing to maintain altitude. And then it starts breaking it up so that there'll be like little blobs of resin with space in between so that you need to jump from one to the next without touching the ground because there'll be spikes underneath. So it's testing your ability there to enter and exit from this different state. That runs throughout the level and gives you something consistent to play against. So it sounds like there's a pretty uh, thorough development throughout. Does it have any multiple paths? Yeah, there are multiple paths on a macro level and on a micro level. On a macro level, there is uh, one sort of reservoir of resin, if you want to call it, in the middle of the stage where right after the checkpoint, you can either jump over like you've been doing up to this point or notice that there's no clear floor to this blob, which is something you could have picked up on earlier to get a bonus power-up, but uh, otherwise is unnecessary. So if you notice that there's no floor here, you can drop down and there are enemies that cross the uh, descent, so to speak, which is a unique challenge to this part of the stage where you're actually just trying to navigate down instead of trying to maintain altitude. So right there, you've got a, a unique sort of unique gameplay going on this separate path that drops you off into a horizontal chamber, like a, a basement. So there they give you a carrot power up and for a second, the level takes a break from its gimmick. You have that long chamber with uh, spikes on the floor and uh, bomb guy enemies. And the challenge there is getting across with the bunny power up. I'm actually not sure if you can do it in one long jump, but the main idea, as you can see from the enemies placed within the spikes, is that you're meant to bounce off them along the way. Uh, which is particularly difficult to do when you're using the bunny power-up because you descend so slowly. I'm pretty sure you can make that in one jump. Yeah, I think running you can make it. I want to test it. Keep going. Uh, so if you don't run, you won't make it. That does, in a little way, play off of what the stage is doing with making you jump to maintain altitude within the resin, but it does it without placing the gimmick itself there. So it's sort of deviating in, in what its purpose is, like commenting more directly on what the sage is making you do than exploring the potential of a new gimmick. So once you make it through that, you get some rewards. Uh, you get another slightly more challenging part with suspended blobs, and then it reunites with the main path. One of the interesting things about this side path is that it's the only place to get the carrot in the level. Otherwise all the power-up boxes will either give you a mushroom or a fire flower, depending on your state. So if you do get the carrot there, you may notice from the uh, latter part of that basement with the resin that you actually interact differently with the resin when you have the bunny power-up because like when you're in the air and hold the jump button to hover, if you're in the resin, hovering makes you just move straight upwards. So instead of having that sort of rhythmic bouncing that Mario normally has when moving in uh, swimming-type situations, uh, you can just hold the button and elevate. So that allows you to hang to the ceiling, which makes a lot of these segments easier. But it also, this segment dumps you off at the end of the level. So it's not like it's 
short-circuiting a lot of the challenge. What it is important for is the secret exit, which is your second branching path. The secret exit, you need the bunny power-up to reach. And it's actually, just speaking strictly left to right, it's behind where the second path drops you off. So you either need to backtrack consciously or you need to know the level and have seen that pipe previously and come back a second time to take the second path and check it out. Either way, there's an interesting little thing where you get to, if you have the bunny power up, basically there's this uh, long vertical shaft with a stripe of resin going down it, and you can ride that up like an elevator if you have the bunny power and make it to the secret level that way. So that's the only time you get that kind of uh, vertical momentum in your control. So the path that leads to the secret exit is pretty much just that. You just need to have the bunny power up to make a long jump, and it dumps you out at the secret exit. So this stage's identity is pretty closely tied to this one element that appears consistently throughout the stage, but not at all throughout the rest of the game, except for like that one other part. Right, so the level really is, as I said, an exploration of what can be done with this one element. So in that sense, it's really the best of what you can get with a gimmick stage because it's not a one-dimensional gimmick. It's not something that only behaves in one way consistently. Not only does altering the spacing and shape of these blobs of resin change the way that the level flows, but Mario in its different power-up states interacts with it differently. So it gives you feedback on all aspects of the game. As I was saying before, in reference to that boo part of Adrian's level, I think this is just the opposite, where all the game's mechanics come into play in interacting with this uh, new element. And therefore, even though it's something that only shows up in this one stage, it still fleshes out what Super Mario Land 2 is and fleshes out how those game elements come together and make a sort of interesting level. All right. Oh, wait. So you talked about the macro, about, you know, yes. pathways now. So what I wanted to talk about on a, on a micro-scale multipathing, and I realize I'm basically just inventing this terminology, or maybe I'm not, is that in individual segments where there's no actual exploration going on, there are different ways to overcome them that rely on actually interacting mutually exclusively with different elements of the stage. So an example is towards the beginning of the stage, there's a sort of descent that goes like a, like a staircase sort of, mm -hmm. except that it's a staircase of resin on the bottom and a staircase on the top. So one way to get through that is just to jump straight through the middle. It's pretty easy to do. I think if you just, jump and hold right, Mario won't touch either side and will land at the bottom. But if you go to either side, if you jump up in the resin on the top, then what you're dealing with is that altitude maintenance challenge where you are sort of mashing the button to try and stay in the resin. And the reward for that is there's a little question mark block up there, which I assume contains a coin or what is it? This level map doesn't have what the question mark box contains. Yeah, contains. I believe it's a life. It yeah, I think it's a one-off. Uh, I know the one on the bottom. So if you decide to plunge down into the lower level, which is what I was referencing when I talked about the reservoir earlier, 
If you decide to go down, you'll encounter an enemy, but you'll also encounter a question mark box that at that point should be a fire flower for you if you've gotten the previous question mark box, which would have had a super mushroom. Uh, so there, if you take that bottom path, you'll be facing an extra enemy, but you'll also get a fire flower, which allows you to uh, more efficiently deal with them and that allows you to blow through the next part that is focusing more on enemies. So it's a slower route, but it's the one that ends up benefiting you. Well, I mean, it depends on how you want to weigh a fire flower against a one-up, but I would say a fire flower is a more uh, direct reward. Just tested and it is a life. Yeah. All right. So, so that's an instance no. of it. There are a couple other places that appears, but that's what I mean when I say different paths on a micro level. You cannot sure. make that jump with one bunny jump. I'm sad, but I think it's more more interesting oh, okay. that you cannot. Can you run. make it? Can you make that jump without the bunny at all? Like, can you jump from one bomb turtle to the next, to the next, and the next, and make it to the other side? Can you do that? I'm pretty sure you can, but let me test it. I, apparently, I didn't get any of these secret worlds when I played, so I'm. What? My, oh my gosh. Is that in a foghorn? <laughs> yeah. I think one thing I also noticed for this level is that there are way more coins than even that tree one that Richard was talking about where there was only like really two sections where they made an optional challenge out of the coins, like one for the carrot placed on both sides piranha and one near the bottom where there was a piranha coming from an upward pipe. But in this one, they deliberately put it between uh, between spikes or above the tree sap because um, it is kind of tricky to jump out of the tree sap, at least intentionally. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that the coins are um, pretty consistently placed to encourage you to go in and out, which I agree with what you said is the hardest element of it because I think that's the case in general – Something I've always observed is that jumping in and out of water in video games is like a pain in the ass. It never feels right. Anything or that changes your does. momentum. Well, I think it's that it resets your momentum, but it's also that you switch to a new set of mechanics in, like, a heartbeat. So pressing a button immediately has a different effect than it did previously. Yeah. I got gotcha. Yeah, I definitely um, know that um, if you hold the jump button, because, you know, you jump has variance depending on how long you hold it. You just do that near the top. You can get fairly consistently every time. You might have to adjust for the timing for how long you know Mario moves up and then all of a sudden, plops, up into the air. So um, I tested that long run with no bunny power-up. You die like an idiot. Yeah, <laughs> I would have guessed because they're like more than one screen apart from each other. Yeah, I, you die like an idiot. Yeah. Uh, you have so to go made, back through the pipe you came from. So they made, yeah, that means they made that part so that you could only do that with the carrot and not. And they like in do, Mario Zone One. Yeah, they do give you a carrot right before it, and I believe that question mark box is always a carrot. Yeah, uh, there I don't think are. It's state dependent. Yeah. So, are there any final thoughts on level design in Super Mario Land Two? It is a lot better than I thought it was. It's a lot more. Variety for better or for worse that I thought it had. It's so just, when, see, when, I played the game. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think you're about to explain. I'm sorry. 
I was just like, I played Super Mario Land over and over when I was uh, probably five or six. I remember beating it over and over because I didn't realize how short it was. But, you know, that's the game where if you beat it, it just kicks you right back into the game. And you're just trying to beat it as many times on as few lives as possible. And then I never got a chance to play Super Mario Land. So I, I played it, I guess, for the first time in 2011. And uh, I was like, oh, look, it's got the squirrel jump from Mario World. Didn't realize it came out after Mario World. And I'm like, oh, look, it's got, it's got these power-ups. Like, oh, look, these levels are scrolling, and you can scroll forward and back. Like, what a, what a neat difference from Super Mario Land, where it's like one direction, tiny little sprites, and this game has, like, much more power-up variation, much more varied pathing and level design, much more layers. And, you know, I was like, what a great... This game's way better than the Super Mario Land. But then I beat it, and I was a little soured, I guess, by that last castle, and didn't think too much about the game. But now after we went back and looked at it, I'm like, hey, it's still better than so many other platformers. That's, <laughs> that's, that's super that, sad. That's the thing that strikes me about it. Like, by Mario standards, I would consider this uh, definitely a lesser game. But nonetheless, it still is way better than, I think, any other Game Boy platformer I've played. And it like is still a good platformer. Yeah, that's like, sad. <laughs> like Mario on his off day beats you, right? <laughs> and like the level design we just went over, still better than I'm gonna call it. I'm gonna give you a number: ninety, ninety-eight percent of Mario Maker levels. Oh, <laughs> probably more. Probably closer to ninety-nine point nine. Probably closer to one hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, no, some of the levels in this game, you know, were very basic. And I assume right. there's some people out there making some very basic, like, here's an enemy, here's an enemy, here's a room. So, you know, you know, come on. Yeah, that's why I feel like we've gone through some of the better levels here, or at least some of the more distinctive levels. Yeah. Uh, and that if you, once you drill down and go through this for every level, I feel like we wouldn't maybe come away with this positive an impression. Yeah, but right now I'm thumbsing up right now. I was, uh, I was reviewing the intro level, and it's kind of curious and basic. You know what? One thing I hate about the game overall, just a general thing, <laughs> the, the enemies are pretty wackadoodle. Yeah. So yeah. then it's amazing that the level I picked, that I liked it because they were out of my way, out of my face, <laughs> <laughs> and that the flies just got out of my face, <laughs> and, and the bugs were just there for me jumping on and not really there to challenge me. The challenge came from understanding the level overall and, and engaging with the power-up differences. Yeah. I think yeah. that comes back to one of the things that uh, Daniel had mentioned offhand earlier about not being able to have a lot of enemies on screen. Yeah, and have a lot of interplay with them. Yeah. They're really super basic. I think that's what you end up with, that they're boring. That's crazy, though, when you think about it. So this game doesn't really have... I'm just going to say they have decent platforming mechanics in terms of jump speed, momentum, uh, you know, mechanics you can do in midair to vary your fault speed or timing, any of that. Like, it's pretty basic. And, you know, the game slows down <laughs> whenever two enemies get on the screen, <laughs> two or more. I, it's pretty close to that. So there's not a lot the game can do in terms of enemy interplay, enemy back-and-forth actions, because it's barely chugging along as it is. You would need enemies that stand more on their own, like maybe you would have in a Mega Man game. 
like a one, like a, a Hammer Brother from the original Mario Brothers. That single well, animation yeah. is enough. Yeah, is but enough they throw like... hammers, so that would be two sprites. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but one, I'm just that's an example of an enemy in a Mario platformer where just one standing in an open field. You're like, oh no. <laughs> yeah, <but laughs> not something you, like that. Not you. Like, yeah. Cool. All right. Unfortunately, yep. Daniel has left us, but um, we can still say goodbye. Adrian, uh, mm-hmm. we have Halloween in two days as of this recording. Yep. What is your Super Mario Land 2 Halloween costume? <laughs> oh, oh that, that weird Cyclops thing. I want to do that. Sure. Are you going to bump into anybody once they get near you? Yes. All right. That's exactly what, what I, why I wanted to. <laughs> Um, Just don't to ask. harass everyone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Richard, what is your uh, Super Mario Land 2 Halloween costume? Same costume I wear every year. It's a question blog. Oh, I think you're going to say Bunny Kirby. Man. <laughs> Kirby's pretty scary. It depends on what you hit and what comes out of the box. It can be anything. Why are people hitting you? <laughs> well, maybe Richard comes out of it, I guess. Yeah, like, That's it's a just a block until I come out. <laughs> We're going to edit this out, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, wink. <laughs> Yourself, what is your uh, Super Mario Land 2 Halloween costume? Uh, obvious joke coming. Let's see. He's uh, going as himself. <laughs> <laughs> But Greg was supposed to say, you going as yourself? (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say Super Mario Land 2. You know? The the box or the cartridge. No, like a costume that evokes the sensibility of the game. So, like, it's a concept costume. (laughs) Boy, this is pretty heavy. Like, you would wear, I don't know... A coffee bean on one arm, <laughs> and then a Game Boy for a hat. Wow! What is this? A Meverse costume, or a, st- a Street Pass costume? <laughs> <laughs> Just shove consoles on your face, and you charge people money for it. <laughs> well, uh, I was gonna go as Wario. You know, I know that's unoriginal, but Daniel, no, no, no. Daniel gets that costume. He's not here with us, but he. Oh yeah, all, I guess he did write the book on Wario. Wario. So. Yeah, yeah. Boy, that would be pretty embarrassing if we both showed up. And... <laughs> and you were like the googly-eyed Wario, and he was like the <laughs> suave, muscle builder, rich philanthropist, philanderer Mario. Wario. <laughs> Whoa. Does the book have any? Uh, I haven't read it, but does the book have any illustrations of Daniel uh, dressed as Mario? Like, no. With, with his friends dressed up as the Wario enemies uh, and, like, enacting the levels and stuff. That'd be cool. That'd be a really cool Let's Play, right? I thought yeah, you were going to do a cool stage play, you know, Wario the, the musical or something. Yeah. Yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll have to get that going uh, in a couple of days. So, Richard, any final words? Yeah, just... Uh... Follow us on Twitter. 
I'll be doing a lot of things in the next few whatevers uh, in terms where, of Mario design. Where can I follow you, can you find on me. Twitter? Yeah, you can find me at KirbyKid. Uh, I started a Mario Maker, I call it Super Mario Fixer video series in which I take people's levels and fix them. Talk about level design at the same time. And uh, you can play both the original and my version and really try to understand how little differences make a big difference in the end user experience. So doing a lot with game design and level design, but that's one thing that people listening to this podcast will probably find interesting. If they got this far, yeah. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> if, okay, if, you get, if you've gotten this far, please tweet at me because I need to know you exist. <laughs> I need to know like, what kind of person you are. At Kirby and Kid, I hit levels. Maybe I'll buy you some coffee. I have to do that. Uh, I will buy you some coffee. How about that? All right. Not you. Oh, oh. Whoever is listening, that's not Greg. <laughs> uh, yourself, any final words? Uh, yeah, just follow me at your dreams. <laughs> <laughs> that's <a little> creepy. <laughs> Can't tell uh, if he's joking. <laughs> Adrian, any final words? Uh, I'm going to play it straight and say, so yeah, Super Mario Land 2. Still a decent game, maybe one of the weaker Mario games because uh, of all the things we've mentioned, but still does some interesting things with power-ups and, you know, paths and levels and how they set up, you know, optional challenges. Hey, did you beat it yet? Oh, yeah, I beat it, like, before we even started. Oh, nice, okay. R- Richard saw me. Richard, did he? I cannot confirm nor deny. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't recorded, so (laughs) it'll be a race to see who gets this out first. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, thank you for joining me. I think we had some interesting notes on level design. I'll catch you all later. this podcast is from Super Mario Land 2. I'll leave you with this final thought. How similar was each person's approach to level design? Do you have a preference for one approach over the others? And if so, why? To what extent can one person's approach be applied to another level? And to what extent is the approach tied to the level? If you have any comments or questions, please email us at vgcommune at gmail.com. No animals were harmed in the making of this podcast, but I do have to admit that I don't know where Mario's bunny ears come from. Yeah, but Daniel, I mean... what it, what are you ringing on this? Uh, yes, uh, I think that the oh, levels wait, is he have mine? a uh, <laughs> okay. interesting franchise oh, call. for Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> Get off my accent. I'm trying to save Daniel. He'll, he'll be right back. Okay. So I, thought, I thought that was like, man, he's saying nothing about this long. I felt bad. <laughs> yeah, he got a phone call. Okay, that's I, fine. I also was able to get oh, yeah. through the warrior hands without much trouble. It's to also... Me, or, yeah, you keep going, Kirby Kid. <laughs> that wasn't...
Kirby kid, Wait. I don't think. Oh, no. <laughs> now you got to do a, an impression of me. Uh, well, uh, the scene is with the... Uh, <laughs> making fun of my dad. French accent. Australian accent. Jack Sexto. Uh, 